Hello, this is Pastor Trent. I want to welcome you to the Mountain Home Church, the Nazarene Sermon Podcast. We are thrilled that you are tuning in to hear sermons from our ministries here at our church. It is our hope that the Spirit of Christ would be present with you as you listen today. I do want to take just a moment to invite you to reach out and connect with us. On our website, we have a way for you to do just that. You can visit www.mhnazarene.org slash connect and fill out a very brief form. There's a spot to leave contact info, ask questions, and even to request prayer. Also, be sure to indicate that you listen to us through our SoundCloud podcast to let us know where you're listening. May the Lord be with you this day. Grace and peace to you. Enjoy the season, but it isn't all that easy, is it? And the anticipation, I know for some folks, especially the little ones, Christmas morning couldn't come soon enough, right? Then this year, good golly, the calendar, what does it do? It adds Christmas to Sunday morning. I mean, come on. I mean, we still have to go to church? <laughs> this Christmas morning. Oh, the wait would even be longer. <laughs> but I personally rather enjoyed it. It was exhausting that morning, okay? But as a grandmother and a pastor, I took full advantage of it, intentional time of refocusing and trying to teach a lesson all at the same time. You know, we did get up, we started out with stockings, and we got that done, got dressed, and we came to church and went back home and then just kind of took our time for the rest of the day. I thought, you know, it was good. I enjoyed it. The long wait of Christmas Day has now gone. And as we encountered Christmas the last two Sundays, as you had heard, we now enter into the season of Epiphany, the season of light and enlightenment of who our Lord and Savior is. And on this Sunday after the Epiphany, we will explore and visit today the one who has been called God's servant, who lives for others, who brings forth justice on earth, and who is the light of the world will not only shed some light on the identity and vocation of Jesus, but we'll also see how our own eyes, the church's eyes, are open to the identity and vocation as followers of this Messiah. Before we turn to our passage today, we will be in Isaiah 42. But I want to remind us that the book of Isaiah makes this dramatic turn right around chapter 40. And prior to that, 1 through 39, Isaiah of Jerusalem had warned the people of Judah about God's coming judgment. And after their consistent ignoring of self-righteousness and mistreatment of others, Israel failed. And they had been under Babylonian exile, and they had wrestled with understanding what had just happened. Their understanding of who they are and maybe even whose they are now was brought into question. Can they still operate as God's people? Are they still God's people if he abandoned them? Time passes, and the voice of Isaiah re-emerges, announcing the end of exile and a brand new day. And God has an answer for them. And Isaiah begins to sing the first of what is called our four servant song. 
these songs, according to scholars, believe that they speak to Israel about her calling to become the servant people of Yahweh. So, who is this Messiah, and what can he do for us? How do we operate as God's people with him? Shall we meet him? Let's turn. Out of reverence and the reading of God's word, please stand. We'll be in Isaiah chapter 42, starting with verses 1 through 9. But here is my servant, the one I uphold, my chosen who brings me delight. I put my spirit upon him. He will bring justice to the nations. He won't cry out or shout aloud or make his voice heard in public. He won't break a bruised reed. He won't extinguish a faint wick, but he will surely bring justice. He won't be extinguished or broken until he has established justice in the land. The coastlands await his teaching. God, the Lord says, the one who created the heavens, the one who stretched them out, the one who spread out the earth and its offspring, the one who gave breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called, for a, called you for a good reason. I will grasp your hand and guard you and give you a covenant to the people as a light to the nations to open blind eyes to lead the prisoners from prison and those who sit in darkness from the dungeon. I am the Lord. That is my name. I don't hand out my glory to another or my praise to idols. The things announced in the past, look, they've already happened. But I'm declaring new things before they even appear. I tell you about them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. God made an, an appointment announcement of his own right here. He introduced to the world the one he had picked to be Messiah. The strange thing about this announcement, though, is that God didn't reveal the name Messiah. He simply called him my servant. Yet we know that God was speaking about Jesus because he said that he would put his spirit on his servant. Now think for a moment. You heard the passage read earlier by Maya, but think much later in time in a very dramatic way at Jesus' baptism. Keep that in mind. We'll come back to it here shortly. But it is here in Isaiah we are introduced to Christ from the early onset. And he is described by God, my servant, the one I uphold, my chosen one, the one in whom I delight. That same language is used when Jesus is baptized by John. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. His servant the one who is more than the center of both a visible character or an ideal, but rather one who's the center of both. A character that is exemplified above the others. The ideas, ideals that are held above what the norm is. A servant of the Lord that goes beyond anything that a prophet would be or ever capable of being. And there's something much more grander than what would even be expected. But our text describes the Messiah as one who will work so quietly to fulfill God's plan. 
He won't be arrogant or proud, just humbly serving the role of a servant to God's people. In Matthew 12, in verse 15, it quotes this passage from Isaiah, fulfilling the prophecy. When Christ went around healing those who were hurting and sick, and then asked them not to tell who he was. Back in Isaiah, it contains a beautiful picture of the work and the ministry of the Messiah. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In the lands around Palestine, the people would have been very familiar with these reeds. Around the Sea of Galilee and along the edges of the Jordan River, there would have been an abundance of these reeds. Now, something very interesting that I had discovered when I was reading was these reeds have shallow stems, and they're very quite fragile. In fact, many times when you see the reeds by the waterside, many of them are knocked over. They can be knocked over by the wind or rough waters or animals that come to drink or the boat or just people being by the edge. And once the reeds are damaged, they can't be fixed. Unlike other plants, you know, when you prune them back, you know, and they're damaged, they can repair themselves and spring back with fresh growth. But not the reeds. <laughs> we are like those reeds. <laughs> we can become so bruised with words of hurt and pain, and we can be knocked over by the forces of simply living, and knocked over by disease and sickness, and knocked over by the thoughtlessness and carelessness of others hurts but Jesus the Messiah was to be that servant that came to impact people he did not come to break a person who was already broken but according to the announcement the Messiah would be kind and caring he would not appear for the purpose of snapping into the lives of those the rest of society considered broken I think of like the woman caught in adultery, whom the Pharisees brought to Jesus for judgment in John chapter 8. Jesus treated that woman with kindness, and he offered her forgiveness when no one else did. Or here's another one. Do you remember the story when Jesus cleaned the leopard and asked him to keep quiet? I also thought about this other story about how Jesus treated the Canaanite women woman in Matthew 15 who wanted to drive out a demon from her daughter. At first, Jesus ignored her, it seemed, and said it wasn't right to take blessings meant for the Israelites. And at first glance, it seemed as if Jesus was trying to snuff out any little bit of faith that woman had. But her confession of faith was recognized, and Jesus saw she knew the saving power of the Messiah. This faith, her faith, trumped all the barriers that had been in place right then and there. This woman may have come to Jesus as this smoldering wick, but she went away, this blazing fire. By seemingly putting her off, Jesus was pressing her to hold more firmly to the promises she already knew about the Messiah. See, faith, it broadens the blessing of God. 
and it recovers the purpose of what God intends to do. Do you have faith like that? Can you relate? Your plans for retirement don't pan out. Your health gets totally worse. Your finances go haywire. Your plans for your sabbatical go a whole different direction. I haven't shared a whole lot about my time away, and you'll hear some small pieces of it as time allows over the course. But I wanted to share the first part of my time away was not what was planned or expected. <laughs> that first week, we had this glorious, joyful news of our first grandson being born. But that same week, my mom had a heart attack. I was also having several different biopsies done. And there were multiple appointments and concerns. And I wasn't able to get away for that type of rest I have intended that first month. It all changed. And it was a tough mental battle of all different sorts that I had to deal with. But perhaps it's a bit different for you. You've prayed for Jesus to take all the pain and loneliness away. To rid you of all the stuff so you could find a place of rest. But things just seem to keep piling up. And you wonder if our smoldering wick is going to be snuffed out. But here's a thought. How do you save a dying fire? Right? You blow on it. Right? You fan it. You feed it oxygen so that the fire will grow and so it will spread. And that's how Jesus uses our adversity and challenges in the lives of us as believers. Not to snuff out our faith, but to bring it to life by pushing us back to his promises. And that is what took place that first month of my sabbatical. That was unseen. God drawing me back in closer than ever, reminding me of something more than what I didn't realize was even missing. And so his presence in the midst of stuff was absolutely calming and a restful place to be. There was no worries, no assurances, just peace. All is well, just so you know, share more later. But friends, I just, I want to encourage you to commit to memory these words from Isaiah. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Put that on your heart and hold on to those words as a life preserver when adversity hits so that you never doubt that your Messiah is your friend and your Savior, your comforter, your strength. That's what Jesus wants to do for you. He wants to replenish you. He doesn't want to put the fire out. He wants to fire you up. He wants to give you a fresh infusion of his Holy Spirit. He wants to fan the flame of revival in your heart and in our church. And there is this second idea that emerges from this servant song in Isaiah. The vocation that is placed upon God's people. Us. To be a light in a world of darkness. Verse 6 says, 
I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness, I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. To open blind eyes, to bring out the prisoner from the dungeon, from the house of confinement, those who dwell in darkness. So what, what does the Lord mean by he has called us in righteousness? The common English version says, I have called you for a good reason. In other words, there is a purpose that God has for us. Now, I interpret righteousness as being faithful to God's calling on one's life and as well as to others, to my own life and how I care for those around me. His purpose is for us to have a relationship in a healthy and honest way with him. Adhering to God's commands as God relates back to his people. Sometimes we don't really understand this. But sometimes, by faith, we just got to take hold and allow his hands to work within us. Because when God poured out his spirit upon Jesus at his baptism, it wasn't because Jesus needed to be forgiven, for he was already without sin. But God came to announce who Jesus truly is, the royal identity as God's son, fulfilling all righteousness, has now been announced by his proclamation at his baptism. Jesus' baptism also played another part. Think about this. By Jesus fulfilling and proclaiming his righteousness and justice to the world. As the heaven was opened up and the father said, this is my son whom I love. And the spirit of God descended like a dove on him. It was a reminder and a picture of the faithfulness of the Lord who had delivered his people from the exodus. Would once again be delivered through the king of kings to the people of today. His faithfulness to us. Jesus' faithfulness to us. By Jesus being baptized by John, he declares his intention to be fully and completely obedient to the will of the Father. Completely obedient to the relationship with us upon our baptism. God shines his light through his servant. Think about how Jesus came and declared about himself in John 8, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in the darkness, but have the light of life. Light is transformative. It changes and it renews itself and it brings forth what we don't always see. When God's servant comes, Isaiah sees that he will undo all the suffering that sin has caused and all its degrading effects that it had. Now, prior to the announcement of the Messiah in Isaiah, the Hebrew people were operating under their own system, living in ways that made sense to them. They had grown accustomed to it. They were living in the same day-to-day -day choices that became redundant to them. Then they were thrust into a system that did not accommodate the same narrative any longer, 
which made them feel really unsure of their choices. We see that today, as well as the last few centuries, actually. You know, just a few examples of older generation and the younger technology and devices. Those with disabilities proving their capabilities are just as valuable as others without. And women in leadership, and the list could go on and on, as you know. Last week, we were reminded of choices. If you happen to get a chance to listen to that, go back. Those choices that we make multiple choices a day, and I can't remember the number that he had said, but it was a lot of choices per day. And some have become so automatic that we don't think too much about them. It was mentioned that even the daily choice of simply as ordering coffee for some of us, not all of us, true, was no different over the years, right? I, too, have been accused by my own children of ordering the same 16-ounce vanilla latte for a very long time. And it's so boring, they say. <laughs> Nothing new, just a simple same coffee order that I didn't have to think too much of. It just kind of rattled off my tip of my tongue. But I realized that over the last year, as my kids have pointed out, there are some healthier options and many varieties of choices, you know. And I'm not working on it. I'm trying to change for the better by making it skim and, you know, changing the flavors and, you know, less, more water, less, you know, you get it. Um, and this seems silly, really, in comparison to choices we make that involve a much bigger impact, right? The lives and souls of those around us. What if we embrace the idea of being open to more than what we think we have ingrained into our habits and our thoughts? What if we reevaluate what we think is right and wrong? What if we take another look at ourselves and be honest about our own righteousness? Will we see something different that perhaps needs some adjustment? Have you guys seen the movie Freedom Riders? It was many years ago. It's, anyhow, if you get a chance, look it up. It's a true story about a teacher who inspires her class of at-risk students to learn tolerance and to apply themselves and to change the world around them. To make more of an impact, this teacher, Erin Gruwal, wanted the teens to meet a real person who had actually achieved this. So they raised enough money to have um, Nia Grease, and I hope I pronounced that right, the woman who hid Anne Frank for months in her attic, come and address the students of Woodrow Wilson High. Miss Grease reject, rejects the idea that she was any kind of hero. And this is what she says. I did what I had to do because it was the right thing to do. We are all ordinary people, but even an ordinary person can in their own small way turn on a small light in a dark room. That, that resonates with the call of Isaiah 42. We are called to be a light to the nations. Just as Jesus is the light to the world, we are called to be the light of the world. 
to be the olive branch as Israel is the olive tree into which the Christian church is grafted. To be different than the norm, we might have to choose to respond differently than what is expected. Our choices can be made and are made in a much bigger impact of those around us and the world as we think about it. You know, sometimes as Israel did and needed, we too kind of need a new imagination, a new way to understand how to remain faithful to God even when the things around us are changing. Perhaps some of that is learning how to operate within the tension of life changes. Perhaps learning to remain faithful is being more willing to have those harder conversations about what you don't see eye to eye on. Maybe forgiving or offering forgiveness to another. Or maybe it's trying to see how God sees us and everyone else as his own. The Lord is declaring new things and continues to do so right through the remainder of Isaiah's book, cultivating in the new heavens and the new earth. Now, I don't know what that really looks like even today, but trusting that God of the past is also the God of the present and the future and who will do new things according to his purpose. If I could have the worship team make their way forward. Introducing the Messiah requires us to announce him with great joy. And if you were to read on into the next verse, verse 10 of Isaiah chapter 42, it reads, Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing his praise. Our joy in Christ is seen when his character shapes our character. It is when we learn from the Gentile and the lowly Christ, and we ourselves become gentle and lonely, not breaking the bruised reeds among us, nor quenching the smoldering wicks. May we be ever so mindful of who God is that we are open to truly seeing new things in a new light. Thanks for joining us today on the Mountain Home Church the Nazarene podcast. Don't forget to visit us at mhnazarene.org connect if you'd like to connect with us and have a great week.